If you can't get enough of the Mixing Music Podcast and want three times the amount of episodes every week, subscribe to our exclusive content for only $4 a month or $40 a year at mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash exclusive. Happy mixing, my friends, and enjoy the show. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hello and welcome back to the Mixing Music Podcast. I'm your host, DK, and with me, as always, is Gary the Giraffe. <laughs> that's what we did Hello. in a future episode that's going to come out later, but yeah. uh, uh, we're just going, we're giving up on Lou nicknames slowly. <laughs> uh, la, la, if la. you guys have Lou nicknames, send them over, put them on a list, give us a suggestion. Yes, yes. Anyway, welcome to the podcast. Today we have a very interesting episode. It might be very short. We're going to keep it short as much as we can. Um, we're going to talk about EQ and the importance of how to use EQ properly. Okay. Oh, yeah. Um, the idea that we want to start with is, you know what I've seen many people do? Mm. I've seen many people sweep across an EQ mm-hmm. and have been taught to sweep across EQ and to cut what they don't like. We're specifically mm-hmm. talking about cutting, not adding on this episode. Yeah. We're going to talk about cutting. A subtractive EQ here, which is very, very important. The power of subtractive EQ can change a track, can change a song, can change the power and the feeling and the emotions behind anything. Oh yeah. Um, do you? I I know people know me for subtracting more than I boost. How much do you subtract typically? I've seen you mix a few times, but I rarely boost, and if I boost, I boost on a bus. Got it. Interesting. Yeah. So so we're mostly cutters. Yeah, like if I do. Some form of boosting, it's usually in saturation. Mm, yes, amen. Same here. Yeah. Uh, uh, which is interesting, right? So, we're not saying that you have to cut, and cutting is better than boosting. We're not saying that at all. Some people like to boost way more than they like to cut. Uh, funny story if you boost 1K with a, with a wide curve, um, and then you turn down the volume. So, if you boost to 6 dBs and then you turn down the overall volume to match the volume of before you boost it, what you're really doing is just cutting the low end and cutting the high end. So, yeah. it, it's kind of like relationship is very similar between yeah. boosting and cutting to a certain degree. Anyway, um, but one of the reasons why I like cutting is there's so many resonances. There, Everything has resonant frequencies. This desk has a resonating frequency. The reason why crystal glasses kind of make tones is when you resonate them and they vibrate at that frequency that the crystal glass is made at or whatever it is with the water filled, that's the tone that it makes. Mm-hmm. And hence why you can scream at the same frequency. So what happens is if you, if you hear, if you make crystal glass right... And and it makes this frequency. If you scream at the glass at that frequency, that's how you break glass. I need to find a glass. So if you if you match the frequency exactly. So, uh, <laughs> but anyway, everything has resonating frequencies or like foundational frequencies. Um, that's where like the brown note idea comes from. Where like I'm trying to like mm. push l- sub frequencies that resonate at the 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 resonant frequencies of your bowels to try to get you to BM. Mm. You know, that's the idea of the brown mm. note. Anyway, uh, I feel every- <laughs> like the brown note is really just 
code name for uh, bean juice. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, everything has resonating frequencies, um, which is interesting because the way that your throat works and the way it comes out of your mouth, so like mm -hmm. mouth, so the angle of the microphone affects what notes are being heard, and then mm -hmm. the microphone and the pickup pattern of the microphone, these has resonant frequencies or frequencies that like to get, uh, are more boosted or yeah. whatever, or attenuated um, more than other frequencies. So it's like the combination of the vocal chain will dramatically change everything. Yep. Um, the distance between acoustic guitars or like strings versus anything, anything like that. So there's so many different things that can change the um, the actual frequency content. Um, and it's important to cut because not everything translates really well or works really well, especially with other tracks. Yeah. Because we're trying to get, I mean, you know, you're, we're trying to get yeah, tracks yeah. to work with each other. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of times, most people when they're cutting things, they are doing it in the idea of separation, but sometimes cutting too much actually creates too much separation and actually takes mm. away from the track. Um, for instance, like some people will cut the frequencies that they don't like, but if you think about it, all right, let's say that there's a tone of voice and you're trying to shoot for like a likeness of like, let's say, I don't know. Uh, let's say somebody says, make me sound like Drake and you take away some of their top end of their voice, but they're already kind of a, muffly voice hey i know that taking it away might get them to sound more like it but you also took away their own personal character mm. sometimes uh doing too much cutting is exactly Ooh. what's wrong with the mix is like that, you start ooh. hearing elements kind of thin out too much they no longer sound natural and uh, not saying that natural is the best sound sometimes process is the right sound but over processing is also a sound exactly no that's a good point we've been talking about this a lot with our interns recently which is like overcutting. Um, which can totally take out, the, yeah, yeah, the personality, the body. It starts to feel hollow, which is interesting. You ever um, like bypass the EQ that you've done, and you're like, wow, suddenly better. Yeah. So there's there's um, it's interesting that uh, cutting is a very very effective and useful tool, and we want to talk about how not to cut. And now I know that many schools, many engineers do this, um, but this is actually a bad habit. And I know that there are many people that do this that are very successful. Actually, the higher level up that I go, the less that I pe see people do this. The less you like, see I, certain forms of EQ. You see EQ, but the the intensity behind the use of EQ lessens with experience. Like I see, okay, so the big thing that we're talking about is why sweeping EQ, like the seek and destroy thing mm -hmm. where you boost like 10 dBs of a frequency and then you kind of sweep across and then try to figure out which part sounds the worst and then cutting that out. Um, so we call, we're going to call it seek and destroy for the rest of the episode. Seek and destroy is bad. Yeah. Um, it's not good and it doesn't help you. And there's many reasons for this, but I'm going to first talk about this that if you've been told that this is how many people do it and how a lot of people do it, um, it's not. It's, and in fact, I don't think I've ever seen anybody at a higher level do that where they go across the entire frequency spectrum. I have mm -hmm. seen lots of people do that within a specific range. Yeah. Like between, it's, I can tell in my ears that it's somewhere between 2 and 4K. Yeah. I just don't know exactly where it is, so I'm going to sweep, seek and destroy, search and destroy somewhere between the 2 and 4K, but I haven't seen it done for like 20 hertz to 20K. I think a better way of verbalizing the difference would be uh, there are many people who think that using seek and destroy openly is effective, but the mo people who use it the most effectively tend to rely on their ears to let them know, hey, it's not the whole spectrum we have to double check. It's just this one part of the spectrum. Yeah. Uh, using it with intent will yield significantly better results, and most professionals move away from using it with just an open ear to like, well, if I hear something, 
then maybe I'll cut it. So then the question becomes, how do I know what to listen for and what sounds bad? And in the early years, early stages of mixing, you're not going to be able to tell, first off, like everything sounds bad or everything sounds good. Yeah. And, and you might cut something, but it's like off of a feeling, but then you realize you regret it later when you're like 20 tracks down. It's like, oh, that's not working. You have to go back to it or you don't even mm-hmm. really release it. And, and then you recognize it later. You never recognize it. Um, it's really hard to tell. Um, at the beginning stages. And the only way to overcome this is by practicing, like doing it a lot, like actually um, mixing and trying to EQ and find frequencies that work well with other tracks. Cause it's not just making individual tracks sound good, but it's more about making the individual tracks sound cohesive with the other tracks. So sometimes I'm going to boost things that I don't like the sound of, but it uh, inherently, blends better. But it blends better. Exactly. Yeah. Or like I cut things that I don't want to cut, but it blends better. Yeah. And and that blending together is going to always be the more important part. Okay. Um, so Seeking and Destroy is bad. One thing that I know you've seen me do uh, a lot and um, is, and this is something that's inherently um, experienced engineers do versus non-experienced engineers. So non-experienced engineers, what they're going to do is they're going to kind of figure out they're guessing. Like, I don't know what this could, song could sound like or what this track, how to make this track better, but I think it's this. And they're like kind of guessing. And thus the seek and destroy mentality works mm-hmm. because you're like, okay, I don't know. I'm supposed to cut something. So like 20 hertz to 20K, like I'm going to seek and destroy. Um, but that's not how professional and experienced engineers work. Yeah. Meaning when you work on a master or when mm-hmm. you work on a mix, you already know what the end song is supposed to sound like, what you want it to yeah. sound like to yeah. a certain degree. It's not yeah. perfect. But you have a direction in your mind. And sometimes um, the moves you make influence that direction. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So one of the things that I recommend doing, so like one thing that you can practice when you go home is instead of guessing where the frequencies are, before you even touch that EQ, is I want you to whistle or hum or hear the frequency that you want to cut out before you do it. Yeah. I, I, do, this, I do this out loud with my interns constantly. Yeah. I actually do this, uh, so I have another way of doing that, but uh, for live sound, if you're ever trying to figure out what frequencies to cut, because especially in live sound, if you wanted to cut all frequencies to try to negate feedback or whatever, the master bus is going to sound like shit, and you're going to have to compensate, and then you've you've actually, this is the part that a lot of people don't talk about when overdoing Seek and Destroy, is by cutting out certain frequencies, even if they're close to each other, you're now creating different resonances. You actually, um, like, uh, I forget who talked about this. If you start taking away certain frequencies out of the mix, you'll notice that there's issues in the rest of the realm. Mm. And that makes, once again, Seek and Destroy less of a needed practice. But in live sound, if I were to take down one frequency, I might accidentally create a different resonance in the process. So if you can hear where it's resonating, where it's about to feed back, where there's an overtone in the room, Try to hum it, whistle it. Use an RTA. There's RTA uh, apps on your phone. Whistle it if you can't really tell right away and see where you're landing frequency-wise. It's a good way of practicing and kind of training your ear on your own to see if you can match what you're hearing, just like DK said. Just try not to overdo it because then you're actually going to inherently create another resonant frequency. If you take a tight cue and notch it down here and then only like 100 hertz later do it here, well, guess what? There's a deviation here, and there's a peak right here of this one frequency. This one frequency is now the resonance. Yeah. 
Um, so there, I don't believe in like rules of thumb or something like rules of thumbs, rules for thumbs, thumbs, thumbs rule. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> they really do. <laughs> but I don't think there's any like sort of like rule that you should follow. But in general, I find that if I do super tight, deep, resonant notches, more than three of them on a single track, it kills the track, especially yeah. in a vocal. If I do yeah. more than three narrow notches, deep, narrow notches, we're not talking like half a DB notches. You shouldn't be doing a million of those no. anyways. That just looks silly. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't do very much. I um, remember seeing like other engineers post like, they're like, oh, this is how you know when uh, the mix is starting to sound good. And I'd see like 15 of them on Pro-Q. I'm like, and they're like all doing uh, like one dB. Yeah. And I'm like, like, nope. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we're not going to judge. If that yeah. works for you, that does for you. Works for you. But the point is like, uh, if you do more than three deep notches, that cuts out resonances, maybe even more than two. That's most likely going to kill, make it really hollow and kill like the liveliness or the, the human aspect of it, mm -hmm. uh, of a track. Okay. Um, another thing too. So again, the reason why I go back to and recommend humming or, or recognizing the frequency before you cut it or even search for it is because now you're training your ear to recognize what you don't like. And it's yeah. no longer guessing. Because yeah. if you're just doing it without trying, attempting to hear anything before, then what you're telling yourself is, we're going to fucking shoot the shit and, and kind of guess. But if you're like, okay, I don't like how, I, I don't like how, uh, but like, eh, like, I don't like this frequency. And it might be like a note. It might not be a note. It might be like a whistle tone. And sometimes they're way too high that you can't even whistle it. Yeah. But if you kind of think about it in your head before you find it, and then you find it, it's going to help train your ear and it's going to make your mixes sound better because you're doing things now on purpose. Um, absolutely important. I mean, even when you cut things, yeah. you may not whistle things out loud in a studio setting, not in the live mm -hmm. setting, in a studio setting. You may not whistle the tone, but you recognize what you want to cut out before you cut it. Yeah, typically, uh, and this is kind of something that comes with time, especially if you're starting to get to know your own gear. Uh, one thing is like getting to know your room. Your room may resonate at a certain frequency, and so you notice that you do a lot of, you know, notching down here on your vocal recordings from your booth because your booth has a natural tendency of boosting this one frequency. Okay, cool. You're starting to recognize these things. But if you really kind of want to start hearing things out, uh, shout out to Plugin Alliance and uh, Adapter. They make a plugin called Metric AB. And I, I think I've told you before, but I use their filters a lot. Uh, I'll actually select mid band and I'll set the the low cut at 400 hertz and the high cut at 6,000 hertz. And I'll try to get the elements that I like there because a lot of times I get distracted by low end. I want my low end loud and I want it punchy, whatever. But like the meat and potatoes is in the mid range, right? But a lot of times when you hear everything, you hear everything resonating around. It's sometimes kind of hard to hear it in the mush. If you're having a hard time and you're having to rely on Seek and Destroy, Try limiting the, the range that you're listening to. Mm. Certain things will actually reveal themselves if certain elements are taken out of uh, the context of the mix. So a lot of times if you take out, like, let's say 100 hertz, you start noticing you're like, oh, actually around 200 hertz, it's really thick. Ooh. And maybe that's why my kick drum and my bass aren't really meshing all that well, because the bass actually reaches all the way up there. And so does the kick. I need to create some separation. And now instead of Seek and Destroy, now you're just listening to that range and listening for separation versus like how loud can I make one versus the other in a full range kind of sense. Absolutely. So uh, yeah. the one thing that everybody else, especially retailing YouTube channels, 
where they want you to buy gear, they're going to say the solution to this is to buy something like a mix cube or a different set of speakers so you can hear things differently. Adapter. Uh, but yeah, you can use something like adapter or even on the mix bus, if you just take something like a regular... the, the Oh, tonal balance control. Or just like the regular, the regular ass default EQ. You yeah. turn on high and low pass filter and, just, and like bring them in on the mix bus. So you're only listening to the mid range. Yeah, they'll hyper focus your mid range, and then you just take it off after you kind of mix with that on. Exactly, and it's, honestly, really good practice. Take if if you're like in my case, like mastering a lot of records. Like if you're trying to EQ it better or whatever, correct whatever things. If you have adapter or a monitor controller or something, send that thing to a separate channel. Or just make it so you can A-B it. Honestly, double check your EQs. You'd be surprised. Like, even a little bit of EQ can be over-EQing. Yeah. You know, but um, honestly speaking, just I've heard use both. whatever. Yeah. I've heard both. I've heard yeah. people be like, yo, come on. Don't be a bitch with this EQ. Like, you got to do more. You know, and then and I've see, also that's, heard, oh, my gosh, you're doing way too much. That's why I like talking to my clients. Like, hey, what do you prefer? Like, are you looking for me to rev- uh, revolutionize the wheel? Or are you looking for me to round off the edges? Yeah, there's and <laughs> there are definitely mixes where I'm doing way too much, but it sounds great. Yeah. And there are mixes where I'm doing way too much, and I'm definitely doing way too much. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like that, that. At that point, I have to take a pause and kind of refresh, and you know, take a break, step away from the computer for a little bit, and come back to it and figure out, you know, once the bias is, uh, you know, gone, mm-hmm. and then come back to it and refresh my ears and see, figure out, oh, was I going crazy or was I onto something? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, uh, one of my favorite things, honestly, lately is, uh, so, you know, I've been like playing with my setup. I think I've switched like my desk configuration like three times in the last two months, um, which has been really fun and revealing as to how much your furniture plays in your room. But even more so than that, just if you're having problems with like resonating frequencies and you say like, oh, I'd noticed in my room, like when I go to the car, I always have to do like more EQ because I start finding more things. Working headphones or just treat your room. Like, mm-hmm. honestly speaking, if you were to do the EQ moves in your headphones, you'd be surprised how much more you can hear than in your monitors half the time. Like, it's kind of a big reason that I'd still tell people all the, to this day, like, I don't personally like mixing in headphones or mastering in headphones. But I'll put them on when I'm doing like little tiny moves because it doesn't take as much loudness for me to hear it. One, so my ears aren't fatiguing as long. Two, there's less of a room issue between it. So if you're kind of questioning your EQ moves and you're kind of having consistency issues, Seeking Destroy doesn't really help with that. More consistent monitoring will help you out with that and having something that's kind of like a trusted source. So if filtering out the frequencies like I do, kind of help you listen for separation and it's a really good way of testing monitors if you ever have a chance to demo some monitors versus your active set filter out frequencies and compare in ranges but to be honest like uh, a better set of cans can help you out more than seek and destroy can most times because at least a good set of cans won't destroy the mix the more you listen to them yeah and honestly as when it comes to headphones we've talked about this uh cans by the way is headphones uh but uh (laughs) Um, we've talked about this many, many times. I think headphones are the future and they're getting better all the time. And especially with like Atmos fold back and how you can compress an Atmos signal to fit into a pair of headphones. I think that it's kind of impressive. Yeah. I think that you can, you know, I think that there's a lot of future and potential in headphones, but, um, especially the great thing about those the most, manis. yeah, that's right. Yeah. But there's another thing about headphones. It's like, again, 
kind of like having a good set of headphones. It's also just getting used to whatever you're using. Yeah. Um, I have I have a few different producers that like to mix on work on their AirPods because that's what they listen to the most on. Um, and it's more about what you're used to. It's not necessarily the quality of the headphones. It's it's about what you're used to. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I think that kind of wraps it up for this episode. Yeah. The the power of subtractive EQ yeah. and also, you know, how much it could damage or save a mix. Yeah. And it's all comes down to you doing things on purpose. After mm-hmm. that, it's just it's experimentation. It's it's just experience where you just try things and you try continuing to balance things and trying to get things to work together. You work on songs, hundreds of songs, and eventually it'll start. you start to get it. It's like, ah, it worked better when I got the bass and the kick drum to fit like this over mm-hmm. time. And like it worked on this last song because your songs are going to be hit or miss. Even the pros have hit and miss. Yeah. And you're going to learn from your hits and misses. You're going to be like, it worked really well on this song, but it didn't work on this song. And then you try the same thing that worked on a different song on this song, but it's not working on this song. Yeah. So you got to try something else. So the thing that didn't work on that song works on this song. Yep. And then, and, you know, it's all I, over the place. I actually just had this happen on uh, Thursday night. I had a client who, uh, you know, I've been mas- uh, I've been mastering like his second album. So this is my second album doing it with him. And, uh, you know, this guy, uh, he's a jazz bass player. Really damn good at what he does. Really great music. But he uh, usually his mixing engineer, who just so happens to be Bob Horn, you know, Bob's really great at his low end and he's very tight, gets his mixes loud. Um, But his client still, um, you know, prefers to have a deeper bass. So in the mastering process, he likes Voice of God uh, from uh, UA, which is uh, an emulation of the Little Labs Voice of God. But it's really funny because this is the first time he's actually not liked Voice of God on the master. He went to Bob and said, hey, these are my notes on the master. Uh, me and Lou worked on it for a little bit, but I feel like we can tighten up the mix a little more. Um, and he asked me right when he walked in the studio, he was like, Lou, you put that voice of God, right? And I was like, yep, I know how you like it. And I just touched it with like maybe one on amplitude, like n- almost nothing. But he heard it and he's like, let me hear it without it. I don't know, Lou, am I crazy? Does it? does it not sound good with it this time? Like, is, is it actually working against it this time? Like you asked Bob to turn up the bass. Like it's already got more bass. Like we don't need to add more on top of more. Like we're good. And this is like, he was kind of mind blowing because he's like, but I always use it. Well, it didn't work this time. Mm-hmm. It normally it works, but this time it didn't. So go again to le- being less automated with your moves and being more thoughtful Yeah, and doing things on purpose. So, Hopefully that helps you. Uh, the big takeaway from this is try to recognize, even whistle or hum, the frequencies that you want to delete or want to get rid of before you do. Um, even doing that with your boosting. If you like, yeah. try to try to I- visualize, imagine, or like hear what frequencies you want to boost before you boost them. Uh, whatever it is. And try that. And then after that, honestly, just mix as many songs as you can um, and practice and how you get tracks to work together is going to be different from how I get tracks to work together. And that's where the different personalities of mixes comes from different mixers. How oh, yeah. Lou likes the balance and the relationship between individual tracks versus I do is going to make his mix sound different from mine. Yeah. And, and that's the beauty of having different mixers, different mixes. Um, they both sound good and blended really well, but maybe Lou emphasized the roads. And yeah. I turn down the lows and emphasize the drums or the vocal or whatever. Yeah. And, and that makes the uh, track feel different. So hopefully that helps. Uh, 
please, if you if you want to hear more content just like this, we offer exclusive episodes. So if you want three times the amount of episodes, go to mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash exclusive. Um, it'll unlock two more episodes every single week. That means you'll get three episodes a week instead of one. It's only $4 a month or $40 a year. Same as a, a cup of coffee once a month. That's what it is. Yeah. And uh, on top of that, we have a merch shop now, which is shop. Uh, sorry, mixingmusicpodcast.com forward slash shop. Mm-hmm. So I need to stop saying backslash because it's actually forward slash. <laughs> uh, because someone left five-star review rating on uh, our Apple podcast. Nice. And one of the, in the feedback, they left some feedback and said, it's not backslash, it's forward slash. But thank you so much for <laughs> leaving a five-star rating. If you are listening on Spotify or on Apple or whatever you're listening on, please leave a, fa- a five-star rating. It does help us to grow. Um, we're very, very grateful for, for anybody that's listening. Um, happy mixing, my friends, and stay saucy. Is episodes once a week not enough for you? Or are you looking for more technical information from the Mixing Music Podcast? Well, guess what? Now you can. You can subscribe to our exclusive content and triple the amount of episodes that you get access to. That's right. Instead of the free once a week episodes, you get three episodes a week for only $4 a month or $40 a year. Go to mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash exclusive to get access to those episodes now.